Ted Simon is turning 90 years old, and he's still riding his motorcycle. When he was 70 years old, he rode around the world following the trip that he did in 1973. You gotta ask yourself, what are you too old for? Ted Simon, coming up. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jim Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Well, for us motorcyclists and many travelers, Ted Simon is an icon, a legend. Of course, he wrote the famous book, Jupiter's Travels, which is an account of Ted's four-year journey around the world with his Triumph Tiger motorcycle, leaving uh, late in 1973. Now, the book has sold upwards of perhaps a half million copies, incredible by anyone's standards, and it continues to sell. It continues to inspire people. People still talk about it. He's still referenced 42 years after it was originally published. Now, of course, there's been other people, many other people that have helped shape the motorcycle travel scene, but it's Jupiter's Travels by Ted Simon that I hear referenced most often as the catalyst for someone's adventure and even someone's book that they've written after their adventure. And isn't that the most you could ask of life to help countless other people in their quest for their life, having inspired them and energized them through just the telling of your own adventure? It's just incredible. Ted has authored other successful books, including Dreaming of Jupiter. Now, Dreaming of Jupiter is a reenactment, so to speak, of his 1973 trip in 2001, where he followed roughly the same route around the world. He was 70 years old when he left on that trip. Ted now lives in a tiny town in France, and he's just 60 days away or thereabouts from this recording to turn 90 years old, and he's still riding his motorcycle. It's not Edward. My my, <laughs> my mother called me Edward. That's that. We don't use that word. Um, so, all right. My, I, I'm Ted Simon. Uh, I rode a motorcycle around the world in, 19, in the 70s when nobody was doing it, uh, when the world was young and different and... Uh, and I wrote a book about it that a lot of people have read, uh, called Jupiter's Travels. Uh, and I'm partially responsible for all the people that I met when I went round the second time 25 years later, because the world was full of people doing RTW then. Uh, but the book remains the first of its kind, and uh, I'm the guy that wrote it. Ted, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm glad to be here. 
great to talk to you again. And um, this is this is now March. In a couple of months, you're going to be how old? Uh, 90 on the 1st of May. 90. Did you ever think that you're going to get to that point? No, I, I still might not make it. You never know. <laughs> but, but yes, uh, it is a bit strange. Um, I don't even mind being reminded of it. It's all right. It's a, it's a fact of life, but it is amazing to think about it. Yeah, certainly nothing I ever expected. You know, and, and all ages are like that, aren't they? As we, as we get older, I mean, you know, it, it yeah. seems like every decade I look at it and I think, wow, I, <laughs> I, I can't, it's, it's a shock. Not only is it a shock that I actually made it that far, but it's a shock that it happened so darn fast. You know, That's looking right. back. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 55. Oh, you're a kid, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. I, I love talking to you. That feels so good because, you know, nobody says that to me anymore. Very, very rarely. <laughs> Do you have kids? Yeah. So, yeah, I have four kids. And they think you're very old, don't they? I would yeah. think so, but they don't say it to my face. Well, I'm still young enough to, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old. Anyway, this is, this is going down the wrong path, but, but uh, I, I hope they don't think yeah. it too old. But yes, they probably do. I mean, you know, it's funny as you age, you look at yourself in the mirror and you think you look normal. But, you know, if, if I saw my face now when I was back 18 years old, I'd probably be horrified. Well, you know, I look, I look in the mirror. I don't know the guy that I'm looking at. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's been like that for a long time now. It always surprises me when I see myself because that's not... In my own mind, that's not how I see myself at all. Mm. And it's not how you uh, feel. And, and, um, and, and certainly it's not uh, how you sound either. You know, like, like um, I think that's always incredible how our, our bodies age around us, like falling down like a decrepit house. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you still feel pretty much the same inside. That's right. Exactly. Exactly that. What do you know now at 90 that, that you didn't know when you were younger? Oh, gosh, don't pop that one at me like that, right? <laughs> I'm really not sure. Um, uh, I just think uh, I, I know I know a bit better about being nice to people. I, I think I always, I think I always was nice, but I think it was more of a strain than it is today. <laughs> um, I, I, I I don't know what else I've really. I, I think I've reinforced my belief in some things that I hoped were going to be true a long time ago. Um, I remember I remember when I was really quite young, uh, somebody introduced me to a to a, a, psycho, a psychologist uh, uh, who I'd not met, met before and he he, uh, he's, he asked me a lot of questions about myself and then he said, well, what do you think is most important in life? And I said, to be sincere. And he said, well, you're going to have a really hard time <laughs> in your life. <laughs> and, and it's true, you know, that for the most part, uh, the things that people want to achieve in life um, require them to be, to some degree, deceptive, to, you know, to pretend to be something they aren't or more more of something than they are. And, uh, and it's... Um, it, it, it's I think I'm much more sincere, genuinely sincere now than perhaps I've been for some of my life. Is that because, like when you talk about sincerity at your age, is that because you, there's sort of like less, no agenda, less to lose? Absolutely. It is yeah. that. It's, yeah. 
You, you've spent your, your life um, writing, really. Yeah. Do you still write? Yes, yes. What, what uh, I have a, I have, well, I have a running a run a running story going. Uh, I hate to call it a blog because it's a horrible word, but I suppose that's what people would say it is. I I, I decided about uh, eighteen months ago that I really ought to write the story of my life. I didn't want to call it an autobiography then because that sounds like a book. I didn't wasn't really planning a book. But I realized that my kids just don't, they don't know anything about me much because they're not curious. They don't ask questions. I don't know if your kids ask you, what did you do, dad, when you were my age? But no, no, it's it's the same thing. It seems like it's only after you're gone that they, they, that they, they start do. asking questions. Yeah. That's right. So I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll write, I'll, I'll write my, my story. Um, but the trouble is I am a writer. And so it was very hard not to write it as though it were a book. And, and then I thought, well, if I, if I put chapters out on the, on the web, you know, maybe, maybe people will be interested and it'll help me to sell this picture book that I've got a thousand copies of that I really need to get rid of. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what I started doing last year. And, uh, you know, we're now very close to the, to the point in that story where I went off on that first journey. Um, so that that was really the intention, was to fill in all the time before that. And, I, you know, I, I'm pretty astonished at the, the number of different things I did before then, which nobody knows about, or at least until they started reading this story of mine. Um, so, so I'm writing that. I've been writing that now for 18 months. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that enough people, the people who said they were interested in it, uh, will buy it. I'll, I'll, I'll make a book of it. And uh, the other thing I thought I might do, which which got a lot of interest, was um, to record it. I thought it, you know, I'm not, I, I don't have a sound studio and all that kind of thing. But I thought it might actually give it some additional uh, authenticity if I, if it's just me sitting down at the kitchen recording this thing. Mm -hmm. So, so that, so that's my, uh, that's part of what me I might do between now and the 1st of May. You're, when you said you, <clears throat> when you're writing the book, you're having trouble um, because you're a writer, because you're an author, you're really dealing with sincerity there, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're having to, to, I guess, stop yourself from getting too creative. And not that you're going to make stuff up from the story, but is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, no, not really. No, it's just, uh, you know, if you're writing, it's the difference between writing notes and, and writing literature. You know, it's, it's hard for me not to try to write literature. So I'm trying to write it um, as well as I can, as opposed to just... Uh, putting down a list of things that I did. That's what I meant. Yeah. You um, you actually trained for, it was a chemical engineering, I think? Yes, I did think at one time that that was the path to the future and prosperity. How did you go from, from there to, to writing? I mean, I think you worked uh, for a newspaper in Paris there. I think that was your first thing. How'd you go to that? Well, it's, it's a funny thing that you, you maybe have noticed, but disciplines often occur in pairs. Um, mathematicians tend to have a great interest in music. And people in the physical sciences like chemistry and uh, physics and so on 
are often drawn to writing. Uh, I think when I was at school, I was as much interested in writing as I was in chemistry. But I couldn't, you know, in terms in terms of as discipline, learning something, getting a degree and so on, chemistry was a much more uh, appealing prospect. So that's why it happened. But when I kind of ran out of um, interest in becoming a chemical engineer, I turned naturally to the other thing that I've always been quite good at, and that was writing. Um, it, it led me eventually into journalism, but that wasn't my intention. Uh, my intention in going to Paris after I left university or dropped out of university, really, um, was to avoid going into the army because you had to do national <laughs> service in those days. I didn't really want to be parading around um, in, in cold weather um, when I didn't really know who I was. So, so I thought I'd go to Paris and, and, and as a start. And then actually, I, I, I was hoping that I would go on to Morocco, but I never got as far as Morocco. I got to Paris and by sheer chance and the, and the help of one or two extraordinary people, um, I, I sort of fell into journalism. There was a, a, a British language newspaper in Paris and I got a little job on it. And that eventually led me into the the full the whole thing. I did come back to England, and I went into the Air Force for a couple of years, and I I I, I bent the Air Force to my will, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and and forced them to let me produce a magazine, which was quite successful, and that got me a job on the Daily Express when I came out. And that, that was that, Scrabble. Yeah, it was scramble, yes. Scramble, yeah. huh. scramble, and let, that uh, that got me into the papers. So uh, I, I reached the dizzy heights of features editor about ten years later, and then thought, well, really, this is I don't really care for this anymore. <laughs> I went off and did something else. Um, various various stages, you know, things come along. You you have to be open to prospects and and. Uh, uh, takes take up opportunities as they come, but uh, it led it led me eventually into a a ruin in the south of France, where where I learned how to do a lot of very basic and interesting things with stone and mortar and cement and so on, and. Um, and really, that was when I realised that I didn't know enough about the world, and decided to go on this trip. So you know, it's it's a long story and it's full of twists and turns. And, uh, it's been fun doing it. And and of course, the the trip you're talking about is your trip around the world that you wrote the right. book, the book Jupiter's Travels about. Right. That that trip that you did, it just it's something occurred to me when I was thinking about this. Was I was thinking. You were sponsored by the Sunday Times to go on that trip. You were a sponsored writer. I suppose so, although those those terms never really appeared. Um, it was almost uh, no, but I, I wasn't so much sponsored. I was given a lump of money, which doesn't seem like much today, two thousand quid, and. Um, and I said that I'd write some stuff for them if if I came across it, you know, 
It was a very loose arrangement. Um, I think they did well out of it, in fact, in the end, but but it's but they never for a moment thought it would last for four years, and nor did I. Um, I, it, I suppose today you would say it was a sponsorship, but they weren't under any obligation to to go on paying me. I, I mean, it just um, just happened that way. I think what I sent back was good enough for them to want to go on doing it. Do they pay you in advance, or, or they pay you as you as you submitted articles? Um, they did. They paid me the two thousand in advance. Uh, was, this was all Harry Evans, who's only recently died. Who was a fantastic editor, uh, and also happened to ride a motorcycle. So that that you know he was interested from the start, and uh, and he was he just believed in in doing things that that looked good and interesting. He didn't worry too much about the money side of it. Um, anyway, it, uh, it 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 was a it was a wonderful opportunity. I must say, it was incredible to be given that chance to do it. But but I would have gone on doing it anyway, whether or not the Sunday Times had uh, kept me going. I would have found other ways. I I became very good at begging. I was a very good beggar. <laughs> in, I was better in India most of, than most of the beggars that I met because I was able to tap into um, to more lucrative sources of money than they could. Uh, I, I did quite well there. What do you mean begging? Well, just go, you know, asking people for money. That's what well, I know what that is. But I mean, like, <laughs> what, what were you doing? Like, what, sitting on the street? <laughs> We're going to take a short break while I tell you about a couple of things, but stay with us. More TED coming up. While this little story all began with a broken wrist, Heidi and David Winters riding two up on their KTM 7 or 640 adventure traveling around the world. It was a broken wrist that sparked the idea that took some years to design and develop and, and perfect the throttle lock for all motorcycles. It's the Atlas throttle lock. Now, riding and the quest for perfection are, are in the DNA of the Atlas throttle lock, designed by two motorcycle travelers, Heidi and David, uh, for riders just like you and I. So in case you don't know, a throttle lock is supposed to hold your throttle in a set position. It's it's kind of like a cruise control, only it doesn't increase or decrease the throttle automatically. You have to do that. But it holds it, and it's really, really handy. It holds it in one position so you get a straight stretch of road. You can relax your wrist. But if, like me, you've, you've tried some and maybe been less than impressed, well, that's what happened with, with Heidi and David. They got quite frustrated with his broken wrist and the dissatisfaction of the, th the throttle lock they had. As a matter of fact, we have this story um, on our website. If you, if you go to our website and search for it, you'll find it there. But in any case, that sort of was the impetus for them to design this beautifully crafted throttle lock. It's an all-metal piece of equipment that works so smoothly, you'd swear it was factory. It fits almost any bike. You can switch it out in minutes if you sell your ride. Believe me, you do not want to let it go with your bike because you will want this for your next bike. It operates using two solid push buttons. One engages, the other disengages. Both have a solid positive feel 
and they just work great. You can make adjustments with the throttle without having to disengage. So if you want to add a little throttle going up the hill, you just twist it. It is a beautiful, beautiful system. Uh, I have it on my bike and I use it far more than I thought I would and far more than what I ever have with my other throttle locks that I've also been frustrated with in the past. Have a look. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Don't forget, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Well, you know, I, I still have the the in my mind that first day that I tried out my IMS foot pegs. Now, I'm not real quick to do a lot of mods to my bike. I've got some, but um, sometimes when I try something, I'm really shocked by the result. And and my IMS foot pegs were one of those. I remember the day I installed them. I was headed out for a day's ride going up some mountain logging roads and, and trails. And I installed the pegs quickly in the morning and before I got ready to go. By the time I got my bags packed, bike pack, all my gear on, I totally forgot about the pegs. And the first time that I stood up, which was actually going up my driveway, uh, my driveway's dirt and there's some slippery spots in it. And often I just stand up to get a, a feel for things. But I stood up on the bike and I was shocked by how they felt, how the pegs felt. There was an immediate control feeling that I had when I stood up on those pegs. And then I spent the whole day being really kind of blown away by them, how much they did for my ride. The leave reach for the control of the bike, the connection between my foot and the pegs. And since then, of course, I've been in all kinds of different uh, material ridden through all kinds of conditions. And I know I've been in, in mud so thick that it, you know, doubles the size of your boot, that sort of thing, drop the bike in it, uh, all of that. But every time you get on the pegs, the pegs are clear because they have what's called a watershed design, meaning they're shaped. The entire peg is shaped to release mud and crap from it, not allow it to build up. Just one of the fine things that the workmanship that they put into this product um, they've been around since 1976. They know what they're doing with this sort of thing. They warranty their foot their foot pegs for life. They're made in the USA. Their website is imsproducts.com. And don't forget, anytime you're you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. asking people for money. That's what's well, I know what that is. But I mean, like, what, what were you doing? Like, what, sitting on the street? <laughs> well, that, well, I was interesting, you see, on a motorcycle, a Westerner on a motorcycle. Nobody saw those people in, in those days. So, um, so I was, pick, I was, I was picked up by, um, uh, by gentlemanly Indian and carried off to their clubs or put up on their pepper plant plantations or, Things like that, you know, just just casual meetings, and I'd uh, tell them that I was having trouble finding enough money to get to Hyderabad or Bangalore or wherever it was, and they'd give me some money. Wow. So that's that's called that's called begging, isn't it? <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, it's sort of not quite. Like maybe it's it's slightly removed because you left it open. You weren't directly asking. You were hinting. So. Oh no, I asked. Oh, <laughs> well, they would ask me first. Admittedly, they would ask me. They said, "Well, how are you doing? How are you going to get to somewhere or other?" And I'd uh, I'd say, "Well, if I can find the money, I, I'll get to." Bombay by June or something like that. That was was how it went. As most people know, you did this trip, but four years on the road, um, on your Triumph Tiger, and I think it was 64,000 miles, which is uh, 103,000 kilometers, 45 countries. 
an amazing trip because you wrote Jupiter's Travels, which is, you know, everyone knows this book. Um, it's iconic. It's put a, got a lot of people out on the road, including Charlie and Ewan. Do you have any regrets about that trip? Yes, I, uh, I do, actually. My, my big regret was, and yet I'd, I regret it, although I don't really see how I could have done anything about it. But it's a shame that I didn't go through the Middle East, mm. um, which is now more or less a ruin, completely destroyed. Uh, that's a shame. Um, I could have done that. Uh, gone through Syria and Iraq. Um, and uh, the other regret was that on my way back, um, I was really tired by the time I came out of India and I didn't I didn't spend enough time in um, Afghanistan and Iran. Uh, that, that's, that's a pity. But you know these these things they're they're not a matter of choice really. Uh, I mean I had I had to get to the bottom of Africa in in a, in a reasonable amount of time. So I, I don't blame myself for this. It's a, I regret only that I didn't manage to do that. Uh, generally speaking, um, I'm very happy indeed about the way it went, and even the even the horrible bits were. We're good. This is the great thing about being a writer is that the worse it gets, the better it gets. <laughs> <laughs> the better story. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that the only regrets you have is really just the places that you didn't visit. There's, there's nothing else. I mean, you know, That's, with so many people worry about different things with going on a trip. And in particular, it's equipment. Everyone seems to worry about equipment. And and often you'll ask somebody if they, you know, well, what do they regret about the trip? Well, I wish I had a, I wish I had taken knobby tires. I wish I had taken hard panniers. You know, you get those, <laughs> those sorts of thought processes uh, with it. Yeah, yes. I, I don't have any of those regrets at all. I mean, there was very little equipment available when I went. People weren't doing it. Uh, my bike was just an ordinary road bike. Um, I, th I think most of that is nonsense and a lot of it is just market driven. And people get uh, convinced, uh, become convinced that, that they can't do anything without the right equipment and so on. That's all rubbish. Yeah, I, I met people on the road who were doing things on on vehicles that shouldn't shouldn't really have been able to stand up, even let alone ride anywhere. It's just uh, <laughs> it, it's just what you want to do, you, you and and you you do it with what you've got. Uh, really, that's the truth of the matter. Mm. Yeah, it seems like everything's like that nowadays. I mean, whether you're into skiing or running or hiking, you know, everybody is, is gearing up. That's, it seems to be a big part of it. And I'm sure it is market driven. I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. I mean, I, it's, uh, obviously I can see that I can see the point or I don't think about it very much, but I can see the point of some people wanting to shave a few seconds off a record or, um, you know, getting shoes that will make them bounce a millimeter higher than they could before or something like that. I mean, mm. if it's a question of records of athletic prowess and so on, that's that's a, a different matter. But when it's a question of just uh, making a journey, get, getting getting out there into the world, it, you know, it's uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your stuff is. You know, find a way to deal it. And, and it's dealing with dealing with the problems that that arise that make the journey interesting. That's what it's all about. 
you, you must have messed with your kit though before you left on your trip. That must have been part of that original trip, that that planning uh, of your bike and everything. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. No, of course that's true. Uh, it's true. I mean, I, I did try to figure out what I might need and I made some fairly questionable decisions and, um, and I enjoyed that process too. Uh, that, that was fun, uh, figuring out how was I, how was I going to be able to sit down and write a book in a mosquito-infested jungle? <laughs> and, uh, and I created a, a sort of a net tent that I would sit in and, and imagined myself sitting in it and writing. Of course, I never used it. It, was, it, was, uh, it didn't survive for very long. There are a lot of things like that. that if you're planning to do something that's never been done as far as you know and you don't have any want to ask about things of course it's a part of the story is how you how you try to imagine things will be um but uh that's that, that's very different from there being a, a big shiny shop that's full of uh cleverly designed clothing and cleverly designed uh, implements and so on um, telling you you've got to have this and you've got to have that you've got to have the other thing you can't there's a, a man a man walks into a shop uh, uh, fully dressed and goes up to the counter and says I'm an adventure rider what have you got for me and, you know it's it's, uh, it's absurd uh, it's silly that that whole word the word adventure is very questionable in itself it's become a sort of marketing device really well and that's why you when you said blog you said you didn't want to use that word that's because blog has become almost cliched yes exactly mm -hmm. yeah like, like a lot of the things and i don't think that's yeah. unique to to our industry necessarily i mean i think that's just everything no, nowadays no. is it's no, the connectivity no. of the world seeing yes. i mean you, yes. let's face it back when you when you did your your trip originally in, in 73 and up 74 and up there wasn't the connectivity I mean, you, you didn't you didn't see everything that was going on in the world you know if there was a something big going on in i don't know south yeah. america and you weren't from there you, you're not going to hear about it very likely at least not for that's weeks. right Absolutely not. No. Yeah, and we wouldn't. We wouldn't be any any worse off today if we didn't hear about it. Uh, it's it's yeah. uh, the same thing. I, I um, agree. And, and and you and you use the word industry and you've fallen into it as well. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not really an industry, is it? Except for the people who are manufacturing things for us to to take with us on our journey. I mean, that's the industry. I, yeah, it's evolving the, the, quickly. The the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, life is, mm -hmm. and and I'm sure you see it. Um, you know, approaching ninety, the changes that you've seen, and how life has sort of sped up. I mean, haven't you found that lately? Like, I mean, it, doesn't it seem like in the past, you know, twenty years, life is just speeding up? And I'm not just talking about yours. We were talking at lunch today before I started this chat with you. Um, I was saying that I simply can't. I cannot understand how I ever got anything done. 40 or 50 years ago, what did we do? How did we manage it? There was no form of communication except the telephone. And you had to go to offices to get anything. Mm -hmm. how, how on earth did we ever get anything done? It, it's extraordinary. And yet I can't believe that we're now 
producing at 10 times the rate. Are we really? Are you getting 10 times more done in your office today than you than, than you did uh, 40 years ago? Perhaps it's so. But our lives were very full. You know, it's not like we had huge amounts of time to think about things. We were always very busy, uh, just as busy as we are today. I, I don't know if you're, if I'm getting to, I think maybe I take on 10 times what I would have before just because the possibilities are there. But um, I, I still find myself, it's, it's interesting you say that because all these, all this technology, technology we have now, including for our motorcycles should make life easier, faster. It should give us a lot more downtime. We should, we should have a lot of hammock time, but of I don't, course. I don't at all. No, no, no. That's, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work because uh, that would, um, productivity would go down. There wouldn't be the same surplus of, of good stuff and uh, the businesses wouldn't be able to operate and we've got to go on producing and producing whatever until the, until the earth is so completely covered with our produce that it can't survive any longer. Oh, you're depressing. Yeah. That's really, de- that's really a depressing outlook. <laughs> well, but, but you're well, right. Really I, like, we may be able to stop. We might be able to stop. Who knows? I mean, there's a possibility. Sooner or later, something's going to happen, obviously. Something is going to change. Hmm. I'm hoping that it will start before I die. It would be really nice. Uh, but, you know, we obviously we can't go on producing more and more and more. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. No, I know it's it's a, it's a crazy thought process, and I, uh, I I won't go down there. But but I was going to ask, as far as writing goes, has writing gotten easier? I mean, you know, technology has made everything much easier. Publishing has certainly changed and gotten easier. Is writing any easier? You are saying you're talking about writing or writing? Writing. Writing. <laughs> I got in terrible trouble with that once. There were some <laughs> girls asking me about my about my writing, and and I thought they were talking about my literature. And I gave them a long story stories, and they were listening with amazement um, because they uh, thought I was uh, talking about the, the other thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> right, writing. Uh, no, writing doesn't get any easier. Um, even though I write on a computer, I thought at one time I never would. But uh, so I write on a computer. But but it, it, in the end, if the words are any good, they don't come out any faster. It's uh, just the way it is. That's the one thing that hasn't changed, and you you can't. Uh, technology isn't going to help that at all. No, it doesn't. When we were setting up here, you were mentioning that you got to you get a brand new computer because you had a fire. And then I also yes. read in your, in your not blog <laughs> um, yes. that uh, you also got swindled out of a, a whole bunch of money. Yes, I did. What happened there? I, I'm a typical sucker. <laughs> well, somebody was extremely lucky. I mean, there are people doing this all the time and they're not so lucky. They, they pretend to be somebody that you know and they send you an email saying, I'm in terrible trouble or I've got this wonderful project and I need this money. And uh, and you send them some money because you think you're helping somebody that you know. Um, and then, right. and then, of course, uh, if if you're sensible, um, you give you phone them up and say about that money that I sent you, and they say, "What are you talking about?" And then you find that you sent fifty dollars or five hundred dollars to somebody that 
you didn't know. Mm. Uh, in my case, it was like that, except that the, 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 the people who did it were extremely lucky. The person that I was supposedly helping was impossible to reach by phone. And the person who was in pretending to be that person somehow managed to imitate almost exactly the kind of language that she would have used. And also the, the thing that she was doing was an entirely, uh, 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 was absolutely possible, feasible. It was a, it was a thing about in, importing masks from Holland to America uh, when everybody in America needed masks very badly and so on. So it was one of those things. And I sent a lot of money off to my friend who, of course, had nothing whatever to do with it. Mm. And... Uh, that that was how it happened. So, so these are people that don't know you. Absolutely not at all. No, and the, and the awful thing is that some of it went to Switzerland and some of it went in the states. But but because of because of COVID, um, it it was actually not possible for me to go and and find to go there and find out what was going on at this bank that I was sending money to. All of it conspired in a way to frustrate me. Mm. The police have been no help. The police were quite useless. The bank has been useless. You know, so, so I just let it go. You can't hang on to these things. Yeah, with that sort of thing, it, it does seem like everyone sort of holds up their hands and says, you know, they, they can't do anything about it. You know, as far as the police, the police are local. Uh, the banks really have no interest in it because they're not going to gain anything from it. They don't care. That's right. Yeah. One way or the other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they just got lucky. They happened to send you the, the right information. And was the email address right? Yes, everything was right. Everything was right. Um, and uh, and the, uh, the motivations were all right, too. You know, I wasn't actually hoping to make anything out of this. I just wanted to help somebody else that I liked or loved make something out of it. And, uh, and I got caught up in it. Um, I, I, got, I got caught up to the point where my, my suspicions were about whether this person was doing the right things with the money uh, and not whether or not this person actually existed. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know, it was really, that no, was a typical scam, really, really good scam. And did you, but, you must have got very infuriated when you figured out you'd been scammed. Uh, well, I was, I was very upset. Yeah, I was very upset because I would, would have liked this money to go to somebody that, um, to, to do something useful, to mm-hmm. something that I liked, you know. Anyway, it's all over now. That was uh, six months ago now, seven seven or eight months ago now. So I don't think about it anymore. You're still riding, aren't you? I've got the bike in the garage. I've had it out a couple of times. I need to, I need to use it properly this year or not at all, I think. Um, I, I've got to... It's, it's not easy because of COVID. I can't, uh, the hotel, there aren't any hotels, you know, to stop at. But so I'm told. I haven't even been out there to see. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of gearing up to do something and find out how it feels again this year. Um, every year is different. The older I get, the more... Uh, the more I wonder when, if ever, I'm going to 
feel that I really shouldn't be doing this. Um, I, I'm sure there are many people who say that I ought not to be on the road, but everything, the, nothing has nothing has come up to to tell me that that it's not a good idea. So I'm still planning it, but I I'm always nervous with a bike if I haven't spent if I haven't been on it every day for a length of time. I, you know, I always approach bikes with a certain amount of nervousness. And it takes me a few minutes or a few hours, depending, to get used to everything again. It always it always feels that the very first feeling is uncertainty, and then it becomes very it becomes very comfortable. Is that because of you, you're not riding in the winter time, or or was there a stretch there where you didn't ride? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been riding in the winter time. I haven't been riding. Uh, I think it's. I took this bike out for a, about a hundred miles a few weeks ago, so I'm, I, I feel okay about riding it. It had some problems that I couldn't deal with, and so it sat in the garage for a long time. But it's okay now. We've had um, a number of people actually write in and ask about um, when it's when you get too old to ride. How do you know? Is really what it came down to. And it's kind of different for everybody because, um, like um, David Huff, for instance. I mean, he, he stopped riding. I can't remember how old he was when he stopped riding, but he sort of hung it up because he had some issues that that told him he couldn't ride anymore. David Huff is an author, and. Yes. Um, yeah. And then for yourself, you're approaching 90 and you're still riding. So how do you sort of weigh that up? When do you know when you're too old? Like, when do you know when you can't do it anymore? Well, I think about it a lot. Obviously, I do. Uh, it would be irresponsible of me not to. Um, I don't want to do anybody else any harm. Uh, it, it, I break it down into two categories of things, really, whether, obviously, whether physical and and, and mental. Uh, the bike, I mean, the bike does most of the work, right? You sit on the bike, and the bike, the bike takes you places. Uh, you have to be able to manipulate the pedals and the and the clutch and the throttle, and, and that's not too difficult. So, if you're still in even in minimally good physical condition, you should be able to sit on the bike and and ride it. Uh, it would be, of course. Handy if you knew you could also pick it up off the ground, but uh, you know, I, I mean, these are the things that I think about, and, and I, I, I feel, you know, okay, I, I can still pick this bike up, just about, and, uh, and and I don't have any any physical disabilities as far as uh, manipulating the controls, um, and uh, my eyesight is still as good as it's been for a long, quite a long time. So then it's really a question of, well, how how well do you react in situations? How, how fast uh, are you on the on the brakes? And uh, what would what do you do? What do you have to do? And how, how easy is it is it for you to process information on the road? And uh, uh, those are those are things I. I look for when I go out. The last time I went out uh, on this bike a few weeks ago, um, some some guy did come out. The classic, you know, thing that happens: a guy came out of a side 
a, a driveway into the road and didn't even notice me. And uh, although I was angry with the guy, I was pleased with myself because I because I was able to deal with it and stop in time without, <laughs> without hitting him. So, so, I mean, he did me a favor, really. Right. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's stuff like that, sort of I'm const- constantly aware, you know, where, whereas, of course, 30, 40 years ago, I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't that kind of thing that was uh, on my mind at all. But, you know, now I, now I think, well, that went well. That was okay. Um, it felt good. Uh, I, 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 I don't see why I shouldn't go on doing this. I mean, that, that's pretty much the way I look at it. I don't think it's got, you know, I think it's really got anything to do with with years, the number of years. Uh, we're all very different, aren't we? Mm-hmm. In our abilities and and what's happened to us. Well, I was going to say most people who live in an area where, where you get some sort of winter, snow or whatever, they go through the same thing. You get out in the spring and your first ride is, you know, it's not, I don't know if you're nervous, but some people may may get nervous, but you certainly don't feel connected to the bike. And I think you've said that before too. Like when you were younger, you used to feel yes. like the bike was sort of like an extension of you. You're, you're so in tune with it. Uh, but yeah. part of that comes from, well... Part of it is youth as well, the overconfidence of being of being yeah. young. Um, but but yeah. part of it is maybe the amount you're riding. But so you'd still get that feeling in an area where you get snow for the winter, and and then you get on your bike for the first time in the spring. Is that the nervousness that you're talking about, or is there something more there? Something to do with age? No, no, no. It's that. It is that nervousness. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I can remember even while I was on my on my trip, I can remember t- days when. It seemed to me that the bike wasn't performing properly. That it wasn't, you know, things. Were, it it seemed to be making too much noise, or it was too jerky, or, or something. Uh, and uh, I could never find any reason for that. And I began to realise that it, the bike was actually it was actually my frame of mind that was that was making me. I, I was listening too acutely to all the little noises and so on and thinking, oh, that's not right. Uh, mm. so, so there's a certain amount of it is for those of us who do have emotions of one kind or another. <laughs> it's, uh, um, I, I, I think it's it, you, you feel that the that the bike is an extension of yourself and if you're not if you're not right, Maybe the bike won't feel right. You know. So, so, it's, uh, so that could happen at any age. But, but when you're old, when you're old and wondering and go, and as it were, going against the grain of most people's expectations, I think then you have to, you know, it's really, it's it's impossible to avoid conscious of things. Sure. And, and I get that. I mean, I get that sometimes where I, where I go for a ride. And I just, you know, it doesn't, there's just something going on there where I don't feel really in tune with the bike. There's something about the ride. Just um, like you say, it's, it, it feels rougher. The shifts feel rougher. I feel like I'm not in, in tune. That mm-hmm. that just happens That sometimes. But you just yeah. said something yeah. about what people expect is part of like part of the thing of, of getting older and getting on your bike is, is there a certain thing there that where you are more concerned about what other people think now? Like, well, well what's this guy doing riding a bike or there's, you know, this guy pulled out in front of me because he's old, he, you know, he, he's not paying attention. That sort of thing. <laughs> is, 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 that, is that a bit of a, of a concern for you? 
Not really. No, not not so much really, because uh, because I'm aware of having such a large audience, you know. Um, so although I don't try, to, I try not to let that really affect me too much. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I I feel as though I'm being watched, and uh, and so I I I feel an obligation to to understand what's going on and to be able to justify my uh, desire my desire to go on sitting on the bike i think that's that's what it is it's more that a lot of people worry as they get older you know just the fragility of our bodies you know breaking mm. bones etc does that pop into your mind as you go to get on the bike thinking worrying about you know if i fall off i could break a hip you know that's the common one you have. <laughs> <laughs> no i don't i'm very stupid like that i don't care. i don't think about i don't think about that i mean i would hate to do it i you know i hate i hate being hurt mm -hmm. <laughs> but but uh, i uh, my body's been so good to me you know all my life against against all expectations you know it's been it's been fantastic the way it's resisted diseases and and uh, the way it's repairs itself it keeps doing that keeps i have problems with my throat for example or with sinuses or some stomach or whatever but uh, i i, I hardly ever go to doctors uh, I, I just uh, just have a, a really firm belief in my body's ability to to repair itself and so far it's been doing that but I, I, I do remember when I broke my leg in in uh, in uh, in Ethiopia um, I'm sorry in 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 Kenya uh, in 2000. I was anxious to hear what the doctor said about my bones. He said, "He said your bones are all right." You know, that, it was, I've always dreaded the thought that my bones might become like sponges, mm. but they but they seem to be fine. And just recently, I uh, because one of my hips is hurting me a little, I had X-rays and. Um, and they, no, I was told that the bones are okay. So th things don't worry me too much like that. Uh, are you one of those people who is like into yoga and, and eating like amazing food and stuff like that? I wish I was into yoga. But <laughs> I really do. I, it would have been a great thing if somebody had forced me to do it, but I never did. And uh, so it's too late. I, I don't, you know, I believe it's too late now. People will always say it's never too late, but I think it is. Um, no, I, I do a little exercise, very little. I, most of my life, my only exercise has been getting dressed. And <laughs> 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 that's great <laughs> I, 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 but I think um, I think on the other hand I put myself into situations that have made uh, that have made me do a lot of work you know and I think the work is what's helped me mm. having the that piece of land in Northern California was um, has been very good for me because I was always out there digging something or moving something or building something because you're a farmer, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was a farmer. Doing organic uh, produce? That's right. 
Yeah, right at the right at the beginning, right at the beginning, eighty six, nineteen eighty six, when really there was there wasn't a a single bio thing in the shops. You know, I mean, you you would never find anything. But uh, yeah, that was right then. Getting into the beginning for something, for anything, for that matter, is um, it's it's kind of a it, it can be good, but it also is it's very tough because you have to sort of flog something that nobody knows anything about, and then uh, you know afterwards it starts to pick up and, and you can do fairly well with it because you had the the early start. Interesting that that that's an interesting way of putting it, and it's not the way I I went about it. I mean, I think I think what I did um, was. I, I got to know some people who were already uh, concerned about agriculture and concerned about food, uh, but they were in the Bay Area, and I was a long way from the Bay Area. But I, I, I sort of sold the stuff before I ever grew it, because I, uh, because I knew these people, and there was only a handful of them, but I knew these people would, would, would take the food if um, if I produced it. And, and of course, word of mouth is what you get them. That's what spreads it. So I, I was uh, kind of fortunate in having got it right. You know, that the, the most important thing about agriculture is you need to have your market before you grow it, which is what's caused a lot of farmers to go bust. Because by the time you get your food out of the ground or off the trees, if you're looking at that point, you're going to lose it before you get a chance to that, sell it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Why did you get out of it? Because I found it was so consuming that I couldn't write any books. Ah. Uh, it was either one thing or the other. Some people have managed to do both. One or two people, some poets in Kentucky, I think. <laughs> people, people, people you hear about, but but I, I couldn't. It was too it was too um, too demanding altogether. Oh, you think farming would be fairly easy? I mean, you just throw a bunch of stuff in the ground, sit back all summer, oh, and wait for it to grow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's it's true. If what you if what you like growing is weeds, that's, <laughs> that works. That that works very well. <laughs> yes, and you'll get a good crop. <laughs> yes, you will. Hey, you mentioned you, you you're sitting on a thousand copies of a book. What, what book are you sitting on? It's the um, it's a it's a book that was made oh seven years ago now, um, with the pictures that I took on my first journey, and uh, they were pictures that I took entirely for myself. They weren't intended for publication at all. When when my, when the book first came out in the UK in hardback, there were no pictures in it. Uh, I I had no interest in in pictures. I thought. Um, it was up to me to describe things in a way that would be enough. That, um, and and then, you know, there were, there were quite a lot. I mean, I, I, I had quite a big bunch of Kodachrome, rolls of Kodachrome that went, that uh, were exposed at one time or another. But they weren't intended as, you know, to be shown as a story or anything at all. And in fact, since I wasn't a photographer, when I did get back to the UK eventually and, and examined them, they weren't really fit to print because in those days you had to focus 
<laughs> do you remember? <laughs> you actually, your, the camera didn't do it for you. You had to focus, and and, uh, and I wasn't all that good at that. So some of them were too soft, really, to print. Well, times have changed. The book was a great success, um, and eventually, technology got good enough to rescue these most of these pictures from oblivion. They always look great on slides, by the way, on the screen. They always look great, but printing them was a different matter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, in 2013, somebody uh, working for Haynes Manual uh, asked me whether I'd be interested in making a picture book. And, um, and that's when it started. And, and the book actually came out beautifully. It was, it's, and it's because it's such a beautiful book that I'm still determined to keep it in print. And that's 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 why I bought another thousand of them. Oh, I see. Right. And what's the book called? It's called Jupiter's Travels in Camera. It's got a big picture of a camera and me in the middle of the camera. Um, it's a it's a it's really a coffee table book. It's a it's big, solid and it's got a lot of writing in it that's that was new. I found I had to write the whole thing um, as as an original because it it simply doesn't work. The pictures and the stories don't uh, normally connect at all. If you're if you're taking pictures, there can't be anything happening, and if if there's something happening, you can't take any pictures. So it's, uh, the thing is, for for me, for I love pictures in a book. When you when you read a book, it's nice to go back and see some shots of of what's happened, you know, along the journey. I mean, I'll certainly get my own pictures in my mind, but I like to be able to look at some of those color plates and and see just what it looked like, what you looked like, you know, when when you were there, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's changed. Things have changed a lot, you know. Pictures have become enormously important now. Uh, I suppose it because it was the expense of publishing them is what made it so so difficult. In yeah. back back in the fifties and sixties and so on, people uh, uh, didn't need the pictures so much because they weren't expecting them. They weren't used to them. Now you can't get anywhere without them. Yeah, I mean, you see that with website design. Even even that's changed in the past twenty years. It's it's yeah. more picture focused now. You know, where everyone's yeah. starting off with massive massive yeah. photographs and things like that. But yeah, I mean, pictures in in books before in the old old style publishing was extremely expensive to do. Every photo you paid yes. more money for each photo. Absolutely, yes, it did. Uh, I mean, just the film itself was expensive. I mean, yeah. having to having to. I I mean, when I took a picture on my trip, I would. The most I would give to any subject would, would be two exposures, you know, whereas today you'd rattle off a whole roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's just a completely different story now. But it makes it painful in the in the edit because you've got so many photos to go through now. <laughs> hopeless, mm-hmm. hopeless, yes, yes. Hey, I, I wanted to just jump back to you. You were talking about your bike and what I forgot to ask you about that. What bike are you riding now? It's the same old BMW that I was riding around in Europe in uh, in the nineties. Uh, it's a uh, nothing special. It's a Fundador. No, it's not a Fundador. <laughs> I keep making that mistake. <laughs> Fundador is the name of a Spanish brandy. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> that's, that's an interesting mistake. <laughs> and the bike is called a Funduro. Um, 
and uh, and I remember when it first came out in '97 or something like that, that, or maybe it was even earlier, that uh, I was asked to, I was asked to ride one in Sacramento. I didn't like it at all then, but um, I somebody bought one for me in Germany, and uh, and I used it to ride around in Europe um, because I could obviously bringing bikes back and forth across the Atlantic all the time and uh, it's the same bike uh, it's it 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 was retired once and spent a few years in the back of the back of a shed and uh, then in 2016 um, somebody got it out and fixed it up and I got it back and uh, it, it's it's just had its handlebars untwisted. Um, I, I've always been very good about riding bikes with twisted forks and handlebars. It's <laughs> never bothered me very much, but people, <laughs> but the people I, I took it to to fix a problem with the carburetor said they refused to let me have it until they'd untwisted, <laughs> untwisted the, the 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 handlebars. Anyway. That sounds like quite a history of twisted handlebars. <laughs> How do they get yeah. twisted? Is my question. Well, oh, very! It's very easy to twist them <laughs> if you if you uh, <clears throat> if you start a bike up having forgotten that it's in gear, and it uh, leaps up into the air and falls on its side and twists itself. That's what happened. <laughs> yes. Well, what I was going to ask is, would a newer bike with um, more of the bells and whistles on it, you know, we've got traction control and ABS brakes and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Would that give you any more confidence as you get older? I've never thought about it. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it might or it might not. I think it might give me too much confidence. I did have the opportunity to ride some of the, the newer ones and they, they were nice. But I don't remember feeling that I was particularly safer on them than I am on this old bike that I've got down there. It's mm. um, uh, it's so much. It's I mean, compared with the, the the Triumph, my original Triumph, which had two drum brakes, you know, it's it's so much better that I suppose it's as much as I need. Mm. Well, the newer bikes are, I mean, even so much better than that again, right? With the uh, must be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as as far as technology, but um, the, and they're, and they're coming out more more things all the time. Uh, I'm sure you saw a few years back Honda demonstrating their self balancing bike. No, I never did. Oh, I never see heard that. They they came no. out with a, a self balancing bike where the bike actually you know moves the handlebar back and forth, basically very minute amounts, and balances mm -hmm. itself upright. I mean, that being one of the big hurdles that we have to overcome when we're riding a motorcycle is that, is that fear of, of balancing the bike. You know, really? Yeah. And they, I've they, never thought of that as a problem. Well, no, and I, and I don't either, but it seems to be the big fear when someone's learning to ride. Now you probably don't remember it very well. And neither do I, cause it's too long ago. Uh, the, the yeah. learning to ride process, but that's, that's a lot of the fear is how can I keep this thing upright? I mean, we know the bike stands upright once you start to roll, but um, as people come to stops and of course the clutch is the other issue. Isn't that very interesting? I mean, my first impression, my first inclination is to say absolute nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't. That 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 idea that that when you're starting to ride, balancing the bike is that it. it of of course, it's 
<laughs> of course it's a problem, but I don't think that there's anything you can do with little touches on the handlebar that's going to make a big a, a difference at all. Well, you're saying it's happened. It's happened. I have to. I, I'll send you the I, link, I, and you can look at the video, and and, and you'll be amazed. <laughs> I will be amazed. But, but well, think sure. about it though. When you when you go along in your bike at low speeds, that's how you're you're keeping the bike upright. Is you're just you're just turning the the, the handlebar back and forth a tiny little bit. I suppose so. Yes. Well, isn't that that's what you need to do? Otherwise, you're not going to put Granny on the bike and just send send her off with these balancing <laughs> handlebars and her hands tied behind her back. <laughs> Well, it, no, but it does make you wonder because look, technologies, we, we've got, you know, the, the autonomous cars now, um, yes, there yes. really isn't a place I think for motorcycles in, in that picture of autonomous driving. But if there was like, would, would you be happy now getting on a bike that balances itself and, and, and rides itself? I mean, is there a point still? Uh, I, I, I can't see it, but maybe no. there is. I don't know. Uh, I certainly wouldn't pay for it. That's, that's the only <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry, I'm, people must be turning turning off by the the thousand um, because I, I'm obviously I, I've obviously put myself outside the the range of sensible sensible people now. Well, no, well, I, 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 I think I can't understand how that could possibly be a selling point on a motorcycle. Well, okay, but so. Never, maybe it's, so, so, so let me just say then, like, because I'm thinking as you, as we get older, if we have a balance issue, there's certainly a thought process of getting a sidecar. Yes. Yes. That would make more sense if people insist on riding when they, when they have a balance issue. But I think if you've got a balance issue, you shouldn't be riding at all. Mm. What's going to be the, um, the uh, end for you? How are you going to know when that's it? I'm too old. I'm not going to ride anymore. Um, yeah, well, if it isn't a specific physical disability of some kind, it's just going to be that uh, it actually makes me too nervous and I don't want to be that nervous anymore. Uh, it'll be like that, I think. It'll just be, it'll just be me saying, oh, I'm not sure that I want to gear myself up to this kind of thing anymore. But what are you nervous about? Though I mean, you know, nothing in particular, nothing, just the size of it and me on it, and uh, just my imagination. Really, I think it's all a lot of it has to do with imagination. It's how you see yourself, how you imagine yourself being, being on it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, I'm a different person on the bike than I am walking around. There's something. To, it has something to do with the way I see myself. And uh, I think that's what's eventually going to decide me not to do it. If I've fallen off and broken the leg yet. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering if you're going to say, well, if I fall off <laughs> and I break a leg, then I'm going to pull that, the plug. <laughs> yeah, that would be it. That, that would probably for sure be That's going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we said earlier on, you're approaching 90. You've seen a lot of changes, obviously, throughout your life. And in particular, I'm thinking in the motor motorcycle, and I'm going to use this word again, industry. Sorry, Ted. Uh, the motor yes, in, yes. in our industry in, in here. Um, what do you make of it now? I, I, 
uh, I have very little contact with it. I, I don't make anything of it at all. I'm, I'm as far away from showrooms and new bikes and catalogs and, and uh, all that kind of thing as you could be. I'm in a small, uh, a small French village, and uh, and I complain along with everybody else about the kids that are racing their scooters down my road <laughs> and making a hell of a noise. Uh, that's that's about where I stand in terms of in terms of motorbikes. Especially during these last this last year and a half, you know, there's been no travel. Mm-hmm. People were coming by, uh, visiting me on bikes, uh, and, and you know, they were nice big GSs and so on. And uh, it was fun to see people using them. I was, uh, I like, I like it, um, but I don't have any deep thoughts about it at all. Do you still sort of consider yourself a, a traveler, a motorcycle traveler? I suppose not. I don't think of myself in those terms, no. Mm. No, no. Did you before? Yeah. Yeah, I used to think that, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere I went that uh, it'd be better on a bike. Um, I, I just... I won't pretend that I have any deep thoughts about it. I don't. But it's not something. It's not something that occurs to me naturally now. When did it change, though? When did it go from? I guess it just has to do with the amount you're riding your bike. Yeah. Uh, it coming down here, <clears throat> coming down here to France. I um, I just I just changed my focus on on life. I suppose. Uh, not that I was doing anything very much in California either, to tell the truth, I, I, and I really wasn't. I had a, um, I had a Suzuki there, which I I used a bit, but nothing like what I should have done to to justify having it. And uh, so I, I've been drifting drifting away from from uh, from the sort of biking that that Andy Goldfine believes in, for example. (laughs) I mean, it's either a vital part of your life or it isn't, and it it actually hasn't been for a long time for me. For me, it's been much more important to be writing uh, and and to be be living my my life, I suppose. And if you could go back, would you spend more time writing? Riding. Yes, yes, yeah. sure I would. Yeah. You yeah. feel it's something you sort of didn't do enough of? Because it's an interesting question because I'm asking you as approaching 90, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who are thinking now, you know, should they be doing more? Should they be doing less? And I know your answer doesn't answer everyone, but I'm, I'm curious about you. Mm. Yeah, I think the more you do, the more you like it. I, I mean, I think that's true. Um, it's just had to face some pretty stiff competition in my life. That's all. I have a lot of other things that I really like doing. How many, how many books have you written? I think it's eight. Eight books. I think, yes, about eight. Not, I'm not very prolific. Uh, you know, I did too much farming and too much motorcycling to, <coughs> to write to enough books. But eight, eight's all right. I don't mind. They're all good. Are there more in the works? Are, are, like, are you thinking that there there are some? Is there a book still in you? Only this one that I'm writing now. I mean, if if this autobiography turns it 
turns out to be as good as I'd like it to be, and then that'll be that'll make an, a, a decent book. Yeah, I don't know about anything after that. I really have no idea. The coffee table book. For if, if someone wants to get that, do they buy that through you? Yes. Yes. So that's, um, a, that's how you have to. I, I used to sell it through Amazon, but they take so much. And it's such a palaver, shipping it off to them and all that. So, yeah, they just need to go to my website and there's a there's a button there and it tells them what to do. And uh, uh, and then I go down to the post office, I write in something in it and take it to the post office and send it off. Um, sent one off today. Uh, most most weeks I sell two or three. So that's jupiterlia.com? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm very proud of the book. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful book, and I wish everybody had it. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. So if anyone's interested in getting it, hopefully they will. Um, they can go to the the show notes for this episode and and click on it and and get your book. That would be very nice. I'd like to I'd like to sell them. Um, no, it's not really for the money. It's just that uh, it's it's too good a book to be languishing. Ted, I mean, it's it's great sitting here talking to you as you're right on top of your 90th birthday. And, and I'm just in advance. I want to wish you a happy birthday. And thank you very much for talking with me. I'm, deli- I'm delighted to do it, Jim. And maybe there will be another one. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, 90 years old and still enjoying the satisfaction of riding his motorcycle. Incredible and such an honor to have Ted on Adventure Rider Radio once again. We've got a link to Ted's new book in the show notes, Jupiter's Travels in Camera. And perhaps for his 90th birthday, we should all treat ourselves and Ted by grabbing a copy of this inspirational coffee table book of pictures from that adventure, that, that original Jupiter's Travels adventure, many of which have not been published before, as Ted said Drop by our website, look at the show notes for uh, this episode for that link, or go to Ted's website, which is jupitalia.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. We uh, thank you very much for being a part of it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, who is over here on my left as I speak. And uh, hey, don't forget, we've got another show called ARR Raw. comes out once a month. We have another one coming out very shortly, actually. Um, You have to subscribe separately to that. And if you're not doing it already, we need your support. This show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. And I'll tell you, if everyone who listens supported this show, we would be able to do incredible things with it. 
Don't count on everyone else to do it because they're not. Step up and support Adventure Rider Radio. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on Raw. Um, so we've got some things in there. Please drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for being a part of this and listening to the show. I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.